Welcome back to Conspiratorial Conspiring. Today we have resident Q cultist, Donald Trump apologist, and CNP president, John Brisson. John, can you tell us what your day-to-day operations are in the CMP? Uh, I do not work for the CMP, Ryan. That is false. <laughs> uh, so I do not apologize for Trump anymore, even though I voted for him in 2016. And uh, QAnon is a combination of grifters, operate, uh, uh, true believers, and... Um, uh, uh, operators, Op- you know, so operatives. So it is what it is, huh? And obviously, I was just joking about all of that. You can basically take the inverse of what I just said, and that's John's actual positions. Um, but John, I want to start off with your story, man, because I really think that it lays the groundwork. And as I was telling you before, I mean, just hearing your story made me want to listen to all of your other stuff because it's so powerful and so heartbreaking and um you don't have to go into all of the all of the details if you don't want to but um if, if you could just tell your story yeah um well uh my name is john brisson i grew up in hope mills north carolina um and i was born three Three and a half months premature, give or take. I was supposed to be born in December. I was born on September 2nd, 1985. Uh, my mother had systemic lupus. Um, they were telling her to abort me uh, because they didn't know what complications I was going to ha- you know, have on her being pregnant with her having lupus or you know, any complications that may be towards me. Uh, but she was a staunch Catholic, and thank God she decided not to. Um, so I was born dead they had to revive me i looked like a kangaroo fetus i had to wear cabbage patch kids clothes they thought i was going to be either mentally handicapped or physically handicapped and yeah i've had some physical issues associated with being born premature like asthma and allergies growing up and um everything but outside of that i've been relatively okay um for the most part at least from that um, my mom died when I was in first grade due to complications of systemic lupus. Uh, um, I believe I found her dead. It's kind of murky because I was so young um, in the trailer that we lived in. Um, my family says that did not happen, um, that uh, I was at my grandparents' house at the time, but I can vividly remember finding her dead, um, trying to wake up my parents because I had a bad dream. Um, and then the ambulance being called and my dad trying to resuscitate my mother. Um, and, uh, my father had hepatitis C. Uh, I grew up, um, he was a conspiracy theorist. I used to listen to coast to coast AM with my father and watch X-Files with my father. Uh, I didn't believe in conspiracy theories at the time. I was believed the politics of my grandfather, which he was a conservative. Neo, he was a, he was a neoconservative, he was a Zionist. And he used to listen to Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, and I loved Ronald Wilson Reagan. He was the best president the United States ever had. And uh, my father passed away when I was 18 due to complications of hepatitis C, uh, actually mainly due to uh, a methadone overdose because they were giving him too much methadone. My father had a lifelong struggle with heroin. 
Uh, he gave up a lot. He gave it up a lot when I was uh, young. Uh, he, he actually gave it up in the seventies, uh, but he felt relapsed back into drugs when he was having liver issues and was in liver pain. Uh, they had given him oxycotton, the Sacklers, you know, uh, Purdue Pharmaceutical, uh, telling him that it was not addicting. So he was on and off uh, using hillbilly heroin, you know, crushing up oxycotton and injecting it uh, through my teenage years. Um, I don't hold it against him now because I understand as an adult, um, he didn't know any better. Um, and so I found him dead, uh, before I went off to college at the university of Charlotte, um, in, uh, July of, uh, July 30th, 2004. Um, and then I went to college, had a mental breakdown, obviously, <laughs> uh, came back home. I uh, worked a few odd jobs. I met my wife, who's a childhood friend. Um, and uh, I live in the same house that I grew up in. Um, and uh, I got sick myself in 2009 uh, with silent reflux at H. pylori dysbiosis. And no one could figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and in 2011, my middle son, Abel, was born with an extremely rare medical condition, was called uh, congenital myopathy with excess muscle spindles. He was uh, sixth diagnosed in the world in it. So he had a, about maybe a one in a billion chance of having such a rare disorder. And they didn't know what was wrong with him. They told us that he was going to die. Um, he spit his uh, intubation tube out. He had been intubated because they thought he could outbreathe in his own and uh, my wife and I had made the decision to let him die with dignity and take him up to the rooftop of the hospital, which would eventually happen. And um, God took that decision away from us, and he uh, spit the tube out, even though he was not supposed to have the muscle capability to do so, Ryan. And um, he, we took him home, and ah, it's just a whole mess, man. He was doing better, and then they said we weren't feeding him, and... We got in a fight with nutrition at the hospital and they were threatening to call the social worker in the hospital threatening to call um, CPS. So then we put them back on, we took them away from the homemade formula that we were on and put them on a, um, uh, back on the, the feeding formula that he was on. So he had to be fed through a G tube and um, he ended up kept aspirating in his lungs and took me forever to convince the doctors that that's what was happening. And, um, he ended up, uh, he was getting better once I convinced him it was that, and they allowed us to go back with the homemade formula. And, um, he, um, had a pulmonary embolism and he died in, uh, February, uh, February of 2014. Um, and, uh, I regretted every day that I didn't, you know, just tell them that, you know, all the nurses said we were feeding him, all the doctors said we were feeding him. He was supposed to be underweight anyway, cause he had, a pectus excavatum which is kind of like a, a depressed chest wall um so if you're too overweight you put abdominal pressure on that you know not a long not a a lot of room for your lungs to expand and uh started to fix your gut with my partner titus wilson i've been uh, using my knowledge i had, like with abel i had uh enhanced his mitochondrial function so he lived longer than any of the other children with the previous condition who all died from heart failure he didn't die from heart failure technically died from medical error um and uh, he was a victim of the system not that i'm against completely against conventional medicine i think it does have merits in diagnostic medicine and, and in uh, emergency medicine but not so much for cancer and and, and and autoimmune conditions and chronic illnesses um 
And I've been, you know, I've written a book, Fix Your Gut. It's an Amazon bestseller. Uh, writing, uh, my second book, Fix Your Mitochondria, is about to come out. I've been coaching people with health issues for about eight or nine years at this point. Um, and I've used my knowledge to help other people because no one could figure out why I was having silent reflux. No one could figure out how to help Abel. Uh, so I had to, to learn myself, brother. And I use that knowledge to help other people the best I can. Lord willing. It's all him. How did you, and, and I mean, that story just, it's so impactful every time I hear it, even though I've, I've heard you tell it multiple times before on other shows, but, um, so you, you, you're struggling with your own health issues what makes you decide i want to start looking into this um and, and maybe even try to heal myself because i'd already i had already learned you know that after i even mentioned this i became a conspiracy theorist myself in 2008 i listened to alex jones one evening on coast to coast am talk about how 9-11 was an inside job uh december 2008 I mean, and, 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 uh, and so, you know, natural health kind of goes along with that, right? You know? So I, conventional medicine, I mean, my grandfather was a pharmacist, you know, I was always raised that conventional was the way to go, right? You know, and I believed in it a hundred percent. Um, but it was failing me. You no, know? the doctors could find out what was wrong with my silent reflux or why I was refluxing or if I was even refluxing or anything, you know, I felt like crap. So I, um, just took matters in my own hands and just started reading everything I could. And I've been doing that ever since. Reading journals and studies and anecdotal reports and books and listening to, to you know other people in the field like Chris Masterjohn or Jack Cruz or Ray Pete or Morley Robbins or my mentor Paul Jaminet. Uh So, you know, I, no one was helping me. The system had failed me, so I had to do something, you know. And it failed my family, you know, it failed my mother failed my 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 father it failed me it failed my grandmother who died of uterine cancer um 2009 so you know i mean i saw people have failed and i that get just you know when i got sick and conventional medicine wasn't working um i chose to the natural route so Let's talk about cancer then, because you've brought it up a couple of times. Um, I actually one of my one of my closest friends um, in my in my group of friends um, back in Chicago. Her mom has cancer, and she's doing chemo and radiation, and lost her hair. And she posted on her on her Snapchat story. She's like, "Oh, my throat hurts so bad." I I can't stomach anything. The only thing they'll let me eat at the hospital is ice cream. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Especially what we know about cancer being a metabolic disorder and, and all of these kinds of things. And you should really limit your sugar intake, possibly even do a ketogenic diet, which is shown to starve like 80% of cancer. Well, there are two different types of cancers. There's those that cells that those that feed on glucose, but there are those that feed on glutamine. And so there is a possible need for the Gershon therapy method, which would be used for cancer cells that feed on glutamine mainly 
And then you would use the ketogenic diet on cancer cells that feed on glucose mainly. So if you choose the wrong one, the cancer could get worse. Now, we don't really know how, you know, outside of a university setting, how you could test a cell specifically to see which one that your cancer favors. Mm. But neither one is perfect. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I did want to make that known that there have been people no, I, I'm glad you did. on a low sugar diet and their cancer gets better, but there's been people who have gone on ketogenic diets or carnivore diets and their cancer gets worse and vice versa for Gerson therapy. So yes, but yes, there is a difference. There are cancer cells that prefer glutamine and there are cancer cells that prefer glucose. And some may and what about, use both. What about implementing um, fasting, like longer term fasts, maybe a couple of three day fasts every every month or so? Um, you know, with autophagy and all of those kinds of things, how how would that impact cancer? It depends on the person. Okay. It's, it's, I mean, that's why I've never made a diet either because diet is so subjective too. Now, granted, I do think that human beings from strictly from a biological standpoint of our microbiome and digestive system that God has given us, it is an omnivore local season diet is most preferable. Okay. Um, you know, f- more heavily on the meats and fats and proteins and less on the carbohydrates. All right. Yeah. Um, but that being said, is a vegan diet healthier than the standard American diet? In some ways, yes. Is a carnivore diet healthier than a standard American diet? Some ways, yes. But there's some people that won't be able to tolerate either. Um, and there's and there's and there's reasons for that. You know, problem is when you start getting dogmatic about dieting. You know, it's like what you mentioned about cancer either earlier. Yeah, someone who has cancer cells that primarily feed on glucose, a carnivore diet would probably work wonders for them. But if that cancer cells feed on glutamic acid, it's not. Mm -hmm. So it's the same with diet since it's so subjective. Now, I guess not to go on a tangent, that it really just depends. You know, like there are ways that you could theoretically do the vegan diet correctly in a modern environment and serve the least consequences of choosing to do the diet. Now, do I think that veganism is optimal? No, I don't. I don't. In the slightest bit. Could um, you expound on that? Uh, you could eat more whole foods and you could, sh- and I wouldn't do raw veganism. I would do cooked. Uh, so you could, you could eat more whole foods. You wouldn't eat a whole bunch of vegan junk food. You wouldn't try to make meat up, you know, mock meat or mock, dairy you know you would just abstain from that and you would just try to eat everything as whole food as much as you can of a variety organic diet as much as you possibly can make sure that you have all your amino acids covered uh make sure that you're supplementing with vitamin b12 make sure you're getting sunlight make sure you're getting enough saturated fats in to produce cholesterol so you want to make sure that you're eating enough coconut and palm to make sure you have that covered like, I'm not saying that it's what I think would be considered to be an optimal diet. Don't get me wrong by saying this. I'm not a vegan at all. I'm an omnivore. Like I mentioned earlier, I follow the perfect health diet. But I do think that uh, you, there are people who choose not to eat meat for religious reasons or for ethical reasons. Granted, there was no vegan culture except for modern societies because it requires supplementation and a large variety access to food for it to even to quote unquote work. But it could, you know. It's the same with carnivorism. There are people that go on a carnivore diet, their health goes, 
And the same with gaps. People don't want to admit that. Someone has uh, adrenal issues, uh, uh, hypothalamus, pituitary, thyroid, adrenal, gonadal axis imbalance, limp, impaired limbic system, goes by many names. Adrenal fatigue, a lack of carbohydrates could cause them more problems because it causes an increase of cortisol and, and, and adrenaline, um, which over time could lead to them developing worsening health or further stages of adrenal fatigue. Um, so, but are there cases where carnivorism and ketosis have helped people? Of course there have. But the thing is, is people have to be very knowledgeable before they go radically change their diet. And unless medically medical necessity, you shouldn't just immediately change your diet. <laughs> well, most people go from eating the standard American diet to ketosis. Their body is in their microbiome. It's not capable of digesting the amount of fat that changes between the two diets. So it can end up causing gallbladder issues, gallstones, bile production issues, bile malabsorption, a whole mess. There's been people that blew out their gallbladders doing so on the Bulletproof Diet forums. I know so. One's a good personal friend of mine, and I've coached people. So you got to be careful when you're doing these diet changes, Ryan. And again, diet is subjective. subjective. I, there is no, especially I love the Perfect Health Diet, and I think it is for a lot of people. It's not for everyone. No diet is. Everyone's microbiome, genetics, epigenetics, um, food sensitivities, the state of one's immune system, the state of one's gut health, their terrain, all of that is individual. Now, I know a lot of people are going to get upset. The carnivore people are going to get upset at me, and the vegan people are going to get upset at me. But it is what it is. So, Could we go a little deeper on why why not raw veganism? Because th this, uh, this is one lately for my girlfriend and I because her sister is a, a, a vegan activist. She said her sole purpose in life is to be a vegan activist. So um, let's let's kind of say why raw veganism is not a good idea and why veganism in general isn't optimal, obviously because of all the supplementation and so on and so forth. Yeah, so um, now you can eat, as a raw vegan, you can eat certain foods raw, okay? Like I'm not saying that you eat, cook everything you eat, all right? We do know that there are anti-nutrients that are in all the food that we eat. Okay. Uh, you know, you have oxalates in a lot of your plant foods and oxalic acid, which is a, is a deterrent, you know, it keeps the animal from eating the plant, it causes inflammation, you know, so a lot of your, you know, raw vegan foods are going to be higher in oxalates than if you steamed them or boiled them, you know. Uh, so cooking does reduce the anti-nutrients that are in plants. Now, the vegans will say, well, it also reduces the enzymes necessary to digest the food. Well, your microbiome should fill in those gaps which really are healthy. You don't need the enzymes that are in the raw food. Your microbiome can easily do the job when if healthy enough. And then some. I mean, that's what a majority of our digestion is, is our microbiome outside of our own innate enzymes that the uh, brush border of our small intestine produces and the enzymes throughout the digestive tract and hydrochloric acid and mechanical digestion and on and on and on. But um, so, yeah, I mean... I, I, I'm not particularly keen on raw veganism. Um, I think that the, 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 the there are some benefits of cooking plant food, even for omnivores, and even for uh, people following a paleo diet. Um, it does reduce some of the anti-nutrients associated, whether it's oxalates, where it's phytic acid, 
Um, and there's different preparation methods, right? Like soaking grains. That's how they were traditionally made and cooking them or mixing limestone with corn to, to free up um, vitamin B3. Um, our ancestors knew how to detoxify food. They instinctively had to learn because they had to eat. They didn't have a grocery store they could go to. They had to eat what was around them, you know? So they figured it out. So I don't know why the raw vegan is kind of kind of like defer that ancient wisdom, you know? Mm -hmm. And they kind of just like, oh, they're like, oh, well, they kind of like overlook it, you know? It's like, okay, sure. Um, and then veganism in general, just because, you know, like, uh, you, or you require bi vitamin B12 for mitochondrial function and energy and stuff like that and everything, and you can't get that in a vegan diet? Well, vegans would say that if you eat raw food, you'll get a little bit of that dirt from the soil, which will in turn give you the B12. I've heard that too. I've heard that you can get cobalamin from dirt. Um, I don't think it's enough. Okay. I'd like to see blood tests. I'd like to see studies done. I'd like to see spectrocell tests. I'd like to see actual cellular levels of B12. I'd like to see that. Um, but what about, what about retinol? You wouldn't be able to get retinol. You wouldn't be able to get... I mean, beta carotene re requires uh, uh, your BCMO7 and BCO5 genes not having any polymorphisms or mutations. They have to be working properly. Like the conversion of beta carotene to retinol or to retinol, retinol, um, then to retinol requires many different enzymes and many different steps. And a lot of people are not able to do that properly. So what about retinol? Right then and there, I mean. Or vitamin D. Vitamin D requires enough cholesterol in your skin to be converted when exposed to UVB sunlight. To enter systemic circulation and go to your liver, and then you know later to your kidneys, so you know to, to to convert to calcitrol, which is 125 hydroxy, vitamin D. Vitamin D is a hormone; it's not even a vitamin. So I don't know why. Again, there's been no vegan society; even vegans admit that because they would have died out. Mm -hmm. Even the Brahmins ate eggs. They instinctively knew. So what, we think we're better? Because we live in modern times? Because, you know, the same vegans that care so much about the environment, it would be very difficult to do a locally sourced raw vegan diet to get everything that you needed. You still would require supplementation. That would, do you think the food that comes to the supermarket doesn't require gas or diesel for transportation? I'm just saying, I understand meat does too, and it comes at an environmental cost. At least they claim that. Yeah. But so does, you know, raw veganism. Am I wrong? And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the amount of acreage that it would take, say the entire United States goes fully vegan, wouldn't we have to use up even way even more land it would be like tenfold the amount of land we would have to use in order to grow all of the vegetables to feed everybody even if we do hydroponic hydro you know ponic gardening correctly you know yeah i mean 
People don't realize how neutrally dense meat is. I'm sorry. It's just a fact. There was a lot of B vitamins within meat. A lot of minerals within meat. Retinol within certain meats if you're eating the liver. I, I'm vitamin D in the liver. You know? Like, I'm sorry, but meat, does it, pro protein, fat. These are necessary nutrients. Now, there's an argument of, is there a necessary necessity for a dietary carbohydrate? I believe that there is. Some people will say that they're not, like Jordan Peterson. But, you know, and look, I'm not here to hate on vegans. If you want to do it, there's ways that you can do it of less harm. Just like carnivorism. I don't think carnivorism, especially raw carnivorism, I don't think that's optimal for the human being either. I do think that carnivorism, if we look at our digestive tracts, however, our bodies could probably handle it better. You could actually survive on a carnivore diet for a longer period of time than you could on completely raw veganism without supplementation. But you'll still eventually end up with some nutritional de deficiencies over time um, through uh, raw carnivorism, I believe. Um well, that sounds absolutely crazy to me. I'm not eating any raw meat. I know some people make the liver pate and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm I'm not about to do any of you don't that. But I am, you don't want to drink the blood. And eat, you don't want to oh drink the blood God. and eat eat, eat uh, rotten meat. Yeah, and then like in uh, in the UK, they do the blood pudding and all that stuff. I'm, I'm pretty like, sure, no. Ryan, that all raw veganism is and raw uh, carnivorism is is let's do the most insane diets possible. To, to make it as restrictive as possible because it's some sort of virtue signaling. Mm. And I was going to piss both people off in both camps, but that's my belief. So what let's, let's go a little deeper on carnivorism then, because I am a fan of um, like the Weston a price diet, I am you too. know, mainly including um, uh, animal foods in your diet. Have having it be animal centric with, um, you know, raw milk and eggs, grass pasture rays. Mm -hmm. Um, so carnivorism, why, why do they take it too far? Because I mean, I've experimented with carnivorism and I find it, um, and obviously I'm just one individual, it's anecdotal. And there are other individuals, like you say, where it tanks their health because they're just not set up that way. But um, I do know that being on a carnivore diet, you know, your mTOR pathway is always activated, and that can um, that can severely impact longevity. Yes. So, um, if you could expand on why carnivorism takes it too far, well, I um, a couple of things. One, we saw in the bulletproof forum that women. And they went on uh, no carb diets or very low carb diets or not even a cycl cyc cyclical ketogenic diet. A lot of them, their periods would just stop. Stop. Um, that's not a good thing. It's never a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so they're, you know, I could be for pregnenolone steel. You know, pregnenolone's not going to produce estrogen and progesterone anymore. Instead, it's going to produce cortisol and aldosterone. Um, so we saw that a lot. We saw the hypothyroidism being rampant because uh, production of insulin, which is reduced in a you know ketogenic diet or reduced in a carnivore diet, obviously, um, 
does sensitize your thyroid hormones to your, you know to work properly in your body. There is a connection between insulin sensitizing those hormones to make them work better, to make your thyroid work better and your endocrine system work better. So there's also vitamin C deficiency. Paul Jaminet got scurvy. Your gums are bleeding. This might be a vitamin C deficiency. Might be because you don't brush your teeth, but once a week. It could be a vitamin C deficiency too. So scurvy involved. Um, you can sometimes use glycine. Uh, you'll have some uh, ketogenic people or, or carnivore people eat a whole bunch of collagen. And in doing so, that kind of blunts some of the effects of not eating carbohydrates on the thyroid gland and on the on the adrenal glands. Um, so there are some issues. Um, men tend to have uh, testosterone; kind of gives us a, 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 an advantage for fasting and for lower carbohydrate diets. That might be because, from a hunter gatherer society standpoint, men went out on the hunt; they fasted longer. Women stayed back, took care of the you know the village, their families tend to have more weight on them. So that might be the difference in sex hormones between a male and a female, which I guess in our modern society, we're, we're all this, we're all, uh, we're all completely the same, right? Not that we should, we, 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 that, not that we, uh, sh uh, shouldn't be treated the same in the eyes of the government, but we're all the same, right, Ryan? You know, there's no differences between male or female between, uh, uh, the, the sexes at all. Not a one. Um, <laughs> so, um, that's going to upset some people too, I guess. You know, yeah. But um, but uh, and I'm not saying that either one is in completely inferior or, or or superior to the other, but there are differences. They're biological differences mm -hmm. in, in 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 how the bodies function, how the brains function. There's there's there are differences on the effect of testosterone on neural neuron formation and neural pathways. And there's progesterone and estrogen. Like, there are differences. People don't want to believe that there are in a modern world because we have to trust the science, right? But there are differences. Um, so there, that might be one of the differences is that men went on the hunt. So testosterone gave us the ability to fast longer with having a less of effect on our health. Women, not so much. So, yeah, I mean, there are issues with the carnivore diet for some people. And there are ways that you can overcome those issues. Sometimes, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you have to get off the diet. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not against it. And I do think it, and it has helped people. Don't get me wrong. GAPS has helped people. Carnivorism has helped people. Uh, veganism has helped some people too. Now, granted, do those help? Do those benefits sustain themselves after decades? I don't know. Sometimes vegans end up eating uh, meat because they end up having deficiencies. Yeah. Uh, but the same could be argued about carnivorism in the next ten years or so, where they actually start going to eat carbohydrates again. You do see that. So, again, I think these radical diets are better, better than the standard American diet. However, they do have issues associated with their use that some people should be made aware of their determination of whether or not, you know, if, you're, if your gut's ill and you're ill, you know, you may want to use these diets with caution. And there have been people on you know, Ben Greenfield's podcast that say, you know, we never limited ourselves to what we could eat. You know, if we for, if we foraged and we found edible mushrooms, or if we found you know, different kinds of plants, you, we bring them back, steam them, boil them, what whatever. If we killed uh, killed some game, some wild game, that we take it back, we, we cook it, yada yada yada. And so, the probably the best approach would be something more like seasonal eating, 
where you eat more carbohydrates um, around harvest season in the fall. And then during the winter, maybe a more meat-based diet because that's what you would be on. And then, you know, come springtime, you start introducing back more fruits and veggies and so on and so forth. Are, Are you a fan of that approach? Again, eating within season and what you could tolerate, I see no problem with that. Try to make it organic as possible, grass-fed meat. Yeah, that's what I try to do. Um, oh, so organic, that, that's a that's a good hot-button issue. Last night, my girlfriend and I were discussing uh, the bastardization that organic now has yeah. uh, about like things becoming organic now if if it says organic does it have glyphosate or does it not have glyphosate probably has a little bit probably everything has glyphosate that you eat for the most part unless you grow it yourself in a greenhouse it's controlled okay and let's let's explain glyphosate for people who aren't in the so glyphosate is roundup it's an herb killer okay and uh it uh it it's not good for the human body. It reduces lactobacillus and bifidobacterium in the intestinal tract, which are um, probiotic bacteria that live in your intestinal system, has antimicrobial properties. Uh, kills parasites. That's, that's one good thing about it, right? <laughs> uh, but I wouldn't recommend using glyphosate as an antiparasitical. Um, it reduces manganese, which manganese, uh, though too much manganese can be neurotoxic, uh, manganese is important uh, to formation, form a uh, superoxidized dimutase. Uh, manganese base which is an enzyme that reduces uh, mitochondrial stress through the formation of reactive oxygen species and reactive nitrogen species um, so reduces mitochondrial stress um, and, and so manganese is important for overall health of the human body um, so it interferes with manganese pathways of utilization even within the brain so create, create increased oxidative stress throughout the whole body um, it's just not good Causes mitochondrial damage, increased oxidative stress, uh, hormonal disruption, uh, microbiome disruption. You want to ingest as little glyphosate as humanly possible. But it's endemic because it's been sprayed so much, you're going to get a little bit of it. You can't escape it. Mm-hmm. Unless you're like rich and you like had the, like your own you know water distillation systems and lived out in the, like the woods where no glyphosate was spread or sprayed around you at all. And you grew everything in out in a, in a hot house, you know, and stuff like that. And then maybe using biodynamic, maybe, you you know, but most of us are still exposed to a certain amount of glyphosate, just reducing your glyphosate exposure. And Dr. Zach Bush talks about how, you know, Bayer's been sued through the nose so many times over roundup. They've just rebranded it. And they're basically still spraying it all over the place or, or, or still like glyphosate type compounds. And so you really can't escape it. So when we're looking for uh, produce at the grocery store, what are we looking for? Organic, non-GMO, um, what's the laundry? Try like? to always get it locally so you know the farms where your food's coming from and you can really see if they're using organic and biodynamic practices. Especially in the corona times, you want to build relationships with farmers. Yes, of course. But if you can't, you know, you want... And organic, it may not be organic, you know. It's probably corruption in the industry as well. Um, but, I mean, there's certain... Um, 
you know, organic like veggie cleaners that you can put. You can soak your fruit and vegetables in baking soda solution. I have a video on my Fix Your Gut channel. That will take some of the pesticides, take some of the glyphosate out, um, you know. And uh, there's a dirty dozen list by the Environmental Working Group of foods that need, you know, you need to buy organic and even the dirty ones that are organic, you know. And It's got to be, I mean, we're all going to get it. You're not, you're not going to be able to escape it, you know. But it's again, it's about reducing your amount. You know, oats are very high in glyphosate, for example. They're organic still-cut oats from England. Not so much. Sometimes non-detectable. So, again, it's just reducing your exposure. So, if you live Good. next to a golf course, you probably want to move. Just saying. And you could also say the same thing about EMF. Yes. Is that it's almost impossible to avoid... In this day and age, well, you could you go to the you could go to the radio uh, quiet zone in Virginia mountains, where by law there is no non-native EMF. Mm. And observatories up there, you could go live up there. You can't have a cell phone, can't have a Wi-Fi router. You could, if you really wanted to escape it, that could be done. So there are avenues. Yes, in the United States, yes. Hmm. So uh, what do you make of the 5G hysteria? 5G is a problem. 4G was a problem. 3G was a problem. 2G was a problem. 1G was a problem. That all just means a generation of, of, of the wireless spectrum that's used. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end the world now. It's going to make more people sicker. Time will tell, likely. It's going to reduce you know, mitochondrial function more than 4G, probably. Probably more in like the major cities where there's going to be Gigamax, you know, Y gig routers and 5G everywhere because you have to, uh, because all the buildings blocking it, <laughs> you know, as you got to put so many antennas up, like in New York City, it's probably going to be a real crap show. If you live out in the country, <laughs> probably not. Won't be more, you know, much, but that much of a difference. So, but yes, I mean, it's going to cause problems. Now it's going to end the world. Nah. Yeah. We'll make more people sicker, cause more cancer. Cause more inflammation, more more uh, autoimmune diseases, worsen them. Hmm. Yeah, of course, of course. I think it's gonna kill everybody. And some people are saying that they they need five G um, in order to roll out the track trace database. That's true. They okay. Need for, they so, need it for smart cars. They need it for the Internet of Things. So yeah. That's but true. I've heard that. You need so many 5G towers all over the place because the millimeter waves are they, they don't go far enough that you would need so many that it's almost unsustainable or you need less in a suburb, but you need more in a city for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. And it also interferes with weather radar too, which is a big problem that they're even discussing it on mainstream media news sites. So do you know who Deborah Tavares is? Yes. What do you think about her positions? Because she's big on the 5G and the weather modification and all little, those kinds. There's some truth in it, but also a little radical too. Yep. My stance on 5G is you're not going to stop them. So you might as well learn how to reduce the cellular effects of non-native EMF radiation on your mitochondria and on your cells and make your body healthier. Reduce what you can in your own home. Do you think a grid shutdown is is possible? Because that's that's the main thing that she's been talking about lately is 
is the upcoming grid uh, shutdown, and we're all going to have to fend for ourselves. I mean, they've been talking about that for decades in the conspiracy movement. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. What can I do about it? You know? Mm -hmm. What can you do about it? What can anybody listening do about it? If it happens, it happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's people. I mean, buying... I, mean, I mean, you could prep some food, but you should always have some store food anyway. You know, uh-huh. I mean, Lord, I mean, I live in North Carolina. Hurricane comes through, you know, happens. You, know, you, you get, don't have power for a week. And I have store food because of it. I mean, yeah, you should always have store food for anything. Mm-hmm. But is I mean, is it possible the grid's going down? Yeah, but I also look at it the same way. People saying 5G is going to end the world. It's all fear mongering. Hmm. If the grid goes down throughout the United States and does not come back up. Oh, well, I do know that the the World Economic Forum has talked or they've they've talked about it. They've talked about the grid going down. They've talked about cyber attacks that could attack the grid. And so, I mean, they're wargaming for it as much or if not more than they did for Corona. So but they've been doing I, it for a while, though. You have know? they? Has it been that long? Yeah. Okay. It has been. They've been talking. The CMP's been talking about it for a long time. Let's go into the CMP. Uh, the Council for National Policy and many of their truthers, including Alex Jones and Paul Craig Roberts and Joel Skousen and Jerome Corsi and Chuck Missler and. State daughter Stanley Monteith. Many people have been talking about the grid going down. They've been pushing. Like, could could it happen? Yes. It's like if a massive earthquake happens in the New Madrid fault line. Do you understand that all the nuclear power plants would melt down on the New Madrid fault line, or at least a lot of them would, and it would be just it would just be it. You know, just be. But you don't see Hollywood ever. You know. That's never in their fear porn, you know, uh, (laughs) movies, you know, like the day after tomorrow, you know, and everything. So, I mean, I don't really worry myself about the power grid goes down. Yeah, it's going to suck. I got some food. Maybe I'll be able to last it out. Maybe I won't. Maybe it'll be the end of civilization. Who knows? It is what it is. You know, when it gets to that point, I don't know. You know, when it gets down to apocalypse scenario, is it really, is it really a world that you want to live in? <laughs> That's Ryan? what I was talking about with Crow Triple Seven, man. I was just like, dude, if there was a horde of marauders banging down my door, and I was sitting there with my rifle, and my girlfriend's got my got the shotgun, I'm like, oh, what are we just gonna mow these people down? I was like, I don't think I could do that. Yeah, so if we're talking about like post-apocalyptic and people killing other people for food, I mean that's not going to be my deal, man. Uh, I'll try and survive as long as I can, but I'm not going to be killing people, taking their shit, taking their food. That uh, that won't be me. Nah, I just trust the Lord and be like, whatever happens, happens. You know, I mean, it is what it is. And but um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they always try to push fear mongering, right? Like, but the whole vaccine, which I'm completely against the COVID nineteen vaccine in any shape or form, by the way. However, um, people pushing that, you know, 
especially new agers doing it too. You know that you get the COVID nineteen vaccine, uh, you're going to lose your connection with God. It's going to make you not a human anymore. You know, it's like no, no, probably you know might give you an autoimmune condition, might have anaphylactic shock. You may die from it. You know. But making you not a human anymore, making you not connected to God, it's like making it the mark of the beast. Yeah. And it's none of those things. That's all fear-mongering. Now people will be like, John shilling for the COVID-19 vaccines because he says it's not the mark of the beast. You know. But what are the serious problems with the vaccine? Because... I I have seen on December 17th or 18th, the CDC released some statistics and out of the 110,000 people that had taken it, 3,000 people experienced like debilitating uh, effects where they couldn't work, they couldn't uh, perform day-to-day activities. So damn near 3% of people that took the vaccine suffered extreme consequences now most of those were relieved though however to give credit where credit was due it wasn't permanent effects mm-hmm. uh, now before people say i'm shilling i did a show with uh, uh with mccarn kevin mccarn phd of us talking about the vaccine and all our issues with it and i looked you can look at the VARES database it's 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 a nightmare all right but, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people do, and I'm, look, I'm not saying go take the vaccine because of this, but most people, when they get anaphylaxis shock from the vaccine due to the polyethylene glycol in the liposphere containing the mRNA, spike, you know, the COVID-19 spike protein mRNA, um, they recover from it, you know, you, they give them epinephrine. Now, some of them had to be intubated, which is a more serious anaphylactic shock, don't get me wrong, and you can die from anaphylactis. You got about, well, about a 1% to 10% chance of dying from it. Uh, any any event that occurs with anaphylactic shock, um, so you know I I'm not excusing that and by any means saying that the shot is less detrimental or serious than it is. I'm just saying we have to be honest about this. All right. Now, do I think that the COVID nineteen vaccine, all of them, whether it's the mRNA, whether it's the uh, adenovirus, like the Johnson and Johnson shot, has a spike protein added to it? Do I think that it's a problem? Yes, I do. I think it will cause more autoimmune conditions like Guillain-Barre. It'll increase Th1 dominance, increase uh, helper cell T, T upper cell one differentiation, uh, might trigger an uptick in of uh, multiple sclerosis, an uptick of like you know mainly Th1 dominant conditions like rheumatoid arthritis. You know, I may, I may end up happening. Uh, people may have anaphylactic shock. Some people may die from it uh, due to the um, like I said the polyethylene glycol. Uh, that's in the um, the liposphere. Um, that might happen. Um, I mean, so yeah, I think there either. I mean, there's cases of the coronavirus mRNA going into people's brains and uh, um, you know triggering similar symptoms of meningitis um, that COVID nineteen can do. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the vaccine is completely horrific. My family will not be getting it. I hope anybody listening, um, I'm not giving you medical advice, but I will tell you that my family and people that trust me and my friends will not be getting the vaccine. I assume that you and your loved ones are not, Ryan, hopefully too as well. Um, So yes, there are many issues associated with the vaccine, but some of those effects of people having, you know, where they can't work or, you know, they were eventually able to go back to work and were able to recover, but not all of them. Some people died from it. 
obviously, you know, it's, it makes, it's hilarious to me where they, when I saw hilarious, it's quite sad, but it's, I guess the narrative is funny. It's what I'm saying. Uh, and that, uh, people getting, you know, elderly people getting it in elderly care homes, you know, they get the vaccine and two or three hours later, it's reported that they died. And then every single one, the, the news media and the doctors and everything were like, well, I don't know if it was from the vaccine. And I'm not saying that every instance was because of the vaccine, but to say that every, none of them are, that's too much, it's too much. It's too much. And um, one thing that Monica Perez made me aware of that I just thought was a smoking gun was they when they were doing the trials for the vaccine, they and I can't remember which one it was, but I want to say it was the Moderna vaccine. They were testing it against the meningitis vaccine. Have, have you heard of that? Not offhand, no. Oh my God, dude. Monica Perez was, was talking about it. Um, she had found it somewhere that they were testing the Moderna vaccine and I could be wrong. It could be one of the other ones, but they were testing it against the meningitis vaccine. So when they get this 95% number, 90% number, um, of it being effective, it's like, well, yeah, we're comparing it against a, another vaccine. Like we're, it's not, saline or a placebo well the 95 percent effective is, is just not even that you won't get covid it's just that you'll have lesser symptoms whatever that means mm-hmm. so yeah but i mean they're injecting you with those coronaviral spike protein mrna it goes into your bloodstream it's able to cross the blood brain barrier it's able to cause symptoms just like severe covid19 infections can cause like meningitis Severe headaches, um, strokes. So, yeah, I mean, the vaccine is completely, I mean, it was rushed. Um, it reminds me of the spine flu vaccine issue of 1976, in a lot of ways, because they had to stop using it because it caused too many cases of Guillain Barre syndrome. So, well, they've been trying to, they've been trying to do a vaccine like this. For the last 20 years, have they not? And, and they finally magically get it out nine months or eight, nine months after they start working on it. Like that's total horseshit. Yeah, I know, but people are rushing to go get it. Think it's going to save them. Oh, my friend is a nurse. She, she got it weeks ago. She already got her second shot. How'd she fell on it? Well, I mean, she, uh, she went skiing a few days later and then she tore her ACL. So <laughs> I mean, she's feeling pretty crappy right now. It's probably the vaccine. I mean, yeah, it's probably the vaccine. <laughs> um, but you know, I, you know, I, um, it's interesting. Well, I guess one, one final thing about the vaccine is that, um, we don't, we also don't know too, if, 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 if you do end up getting coronavirus in the wild, um, if your if your immune system doesn't overreact once you get the vaccine too, you know, like Vince, there's been questions of that. There's been questions of uh, it's just it's just not good. The whole entire thing is not good. That's what I'm hearing. These these healthcare practitioners who have had, and I say had coronavirus. I know we disagree on that, and mm -hmm. I'd like to expound on that. But these health practitioners that have had corona are now getting the Corona vaccine and having very detrimental effects. So it, it seems almost as if these people who have already had Corona 
are now getting the vaccine and they're being severely impacted by it. Yeah. I don't know if you've, if you've heard that. Yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. Do you, do you have any idea why that could be? I've heard because the body ends up, it just causes a greater TH1 reaction. I mean, that's what the vaccines are supposed to do. Like just like the viron itself triggers a TH1 immune differentiation, a TH1 reaction, increase of your TH1. You got TH1, TH2, TH17. When one goes up, the others go down. It's kind of like a seesaw. So when you have a viral infection, right, the viral infection, TH1 goes up. Uh, and then when you get over, it's supposed to go down. So the vaccine is supposed to increase that, but... Sometimes, like an, an infection, or sometimes the vaccine can cause a increase too much of TH1, which ends up lead to like a cytokine storm. You probably heard that before. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, that's what I think is probably the biggest issue of the vaccine in and of itself is that is 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 that possibility of and the possibility of triggering anaphylaxis, which could be severe. There are probably some deaths associated with anaphylaxis too. Um, I mean, no, intubation is serious, you know. Um, anaphylaxis in of itself, if caught early and doesn't progress to uh, being intubated or death, um, is serious, but not as serious as, like, if you have to be intubated, it's, it's a major problem. Um, but overall, yes, I don't... I would never recommend the vaccine. I would never recommend any vaccine for COVID-19. Um, it's profit... And power over people's health. So, and it's the intubation was another one, man. I mean, they they did a study in New York, and ninety seven point two percent of people over sixty five that were intubated ended up dying. They're using too much PEEP and too much pressure. Yeah, cause. yeah. So, they well, all right, so you you know more about this than uh. They were using too much pressure. I mean, obviously, they would have known that they were using too much pressure. Well, they thought it was advanced respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS, where you do need to force more air to get you get air oxygen in, into the into the bloodstream through the alveoli. So in ARDS, you you would increase the PEEP, you would increase the pressure. So what they originally thought it was, but it wasn't. It was more of a ma- microvascular issue when it comes to COVID nineteen. So they were like causing a lot of inflammation in the lungs by putting too much pressure, since it wasn't ARDS. A lot of cases, um, and because we don't breathe by positive pressure, we breathe by negative pressure. So you kind of like when you inhale, you, it's like a like a suction. You know, you're not forcing air; you're pulling it down. So you're not you're not pushing it in; you're forcing it in. So we breathe by negative pressure. We don't breathe by positive pressure. So ventilator is positive pressure; it's forcing air into your lungs. Yeah. So. Um, it was it was causing a lot of problems with gas exchange and inflammation in the lungs. It was killing people, thyroid killing people. And now once they and did, we were in this giant race to get more and more and more. Yeah, and when, now once they reduced the peep and reduced the pressure, stopped treating it like ARDS, and yes, less people died, more people are stable. Actually, in most cases, all you had to really do is just give a person oxygen. That's really all that had to been done, but no. They, I mean, I mean, and, and, and I don't, and I, people will say there's some sort of malicious intent. There could be with the ventilators, but I think it was just because they were just using faulty logic and previous knowledge of respiratory syndromes like uh, MERS and SARS-CoV-1. So they were like, yeah, let's do this. Usually do this in advanced respiratory distress syndrome. 
But the problem with conventional medicine, the main problem is it's like a dinosaur. Once they figure out something's not working right, it takes forever for something to correct course and change. Yeah. That's one of the main problems. Researchers knew that it was an issue and were calling for it as early as I remember is like, I think April or maybe May of last year saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. There were studies coming out saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to reduce the pressure. You need to reduce the peep. What are you doing? You're blowing people's lungs out. You know, you're, you're killing them. <laughs> Corona's not killing them. You're killing them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe them, you know, Trump going, uh, let's get some, you know, let's do the industrial act and get more ventilators being produced and stuff like that. Yeah. At that point, maybe it does become nefarious, you know, but in general, I don't think the average doctors really knew what they were doing. They just were following protocol. Um, I'm not excusing it for bad science or bad research or bad, you know, Rockefeller medicine they're taught in college, you know, right? But yeah, I don't think I don't think the doctors in of themselves were purposely killing people. Um, I just think oh, that definitely not. No, but there's some people that do. There's some people that flat okay. out do. You know, I'm not saying you do, Ryan. I'm just saying there's some people that do. Um, what there was incentive was there not to put people on respirators and, and intubate them. Yeah. But again, that's medical protocol for what they thought was helping, you know, um, it wasn't, but financial incentive. No, there is, there is, yeah. but again, with advanced respiratory distress syndrome, which is what they thought it was, you, that is standard protocol to their defense. Okay. That's what you would do if you went in the hospital and you had ARDS, they would give you positive pressure increase and peep increase. Um, to, to make sure that the oxygen exchange in your avali is occurring into your bloodstream. But the problem is, is it wasn't really that. The pro it wasn't the avali hardening or anything like that. It was a hemoglobin, microvascular inflammation and bleed issue. That's what COVID nineteen really is. It wasn't the lungs per se. It's that issue, and they weren't tackling that as such. Instead, they were tackling it as advanced respiratory distress syndrome and in doing so it killed a lot of people and the, the, my biggest problem is is that the research was there it was there for months and they just refused to look at it because that's how the medical establishment is and more lives could have been saved if that was never done you know like or or, or if they stopped it earlier so so what what do you think are the origins of coronavirus? Do you think this thing is is natural or a, no. a bioweapon? Bioweapon. Bioweapon? Okay. Mm -hmm. but, so my question with the bioweapon theory is why, why make it so ineffective? Like there's a 99.74 uh, survival rate if you contract it. So why... Are they, are they, because the problem, the problem wasn't the kill. The problem wasn't the kill. The problem was the main, that was their main objective. Long COVID. Okay. Could, could you, could you go deeper on the whole bioweapon narrative? I know I've been meaning to watch that documentary by Clint Richardson, uh, wag the dog, Yeah. but I, I haven't had, I haven't found the nine and a half hours. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's my belief that it was, you know, concoction between China and the United States. Um, I mean, Mark from Houston Talk Live's done a lot of streams on it. It would take me forever to talk about it here, but I do believe that it likely either escaped out of Fort Detrick, Maryland, 
and started here or started, you know, at the Wuhan laboratory, uh, one or the other. Um, and uh, it could have been by accident. It could have been on purpose. I lean more towards the on purpose part. Um, it has to be, right? I mean, all of the predictive programming, the 2012 Olympics, the... Yeah, but with all the predictive programming, is that just, just the, the public consciousness, you know, kind of tapping into things that happen into the future or is it program we or is it programming from the elites to try to get it into our minds you know or or is it cremation of care could be any of those Mm -hmm. looking at i mean especially looking at zachary hubbard's work and gematria and everything like that i mean we a lot of people in the gematria community thought that this was a hoax back in january before it was really even on the very first day that it came to America, or the the day it was first confirmed in America, January twenty first, mm-hmm. we had our first confirmed case. It was just such the it was such a perfect day for it to happen to our to for us to get our first confirmed case one slash twenty one in Gematria World Economic Forum equals one twenty one Bill and Melinda Gates one twenty one and then also Trump was speaking in Davos. Uh, 222 days after his birthday as above so below equals 222 uh order out of chaos 222 on uh march 11th we got the official declaration from the who that it was a pandemic exactly to the day 222 months after 9-11 they were calling this the new 9-11 i'm like this is too perfect for it to be happenstance I don't, think, I don't think it is. I think it's planned. I'm just saying it's a possibility. You have to leave out for that possibility that it was just an accidental leak because there's such. Come on, John. Let's not be sensible here. Yeah, no, 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 no. Let's not. Um, and people will be like, John Person's a gatekeeper and a shill just because he leaves out that 1% chance that maybe it leaked out of Fort Dietrich. Um, yeah. You know, but I mean, it's like, I look at Gematria, like the movie number 23 with Jim Carrey. You know, if I spent my time in Gematria, I'd probably go insane. Um, uh, you know, you know, and, and, and I understand, like, I have friends that believe that the COVID-19 isn't real. Um, I look at the, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying you on this, but my theory about that is, is I kind of look at it, the whole QAnon operation and that, you know, if there was something nefarious going on, let's say that there was, you know, it is a bioweapon and there was a leak and what their main objectives are and stuff like that and everything. The main objective actually might not be the vaccine. That could have been a secondary objective. Their main objective might be get everybody on the internet of things and get everybody home on the internet. You might ever think about that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's my opinion that if you look at everything as a complete hoax, or if you look at everything as complete real, you might miss something. And so, there are people who believe every, every like trust the science, okay. Mm-hmm. And there are people who believe everything is is a hoax as far as the coronavirus is concerned that it doesn't exist, okay. It's my belief that both of these positions are the same, and that they're mainly bred on emotion. They're not bred on logic. Now I know that's going to upset a lot of people. Um. Now, if any one of these two positions were true, I would lean more towards it being a complete hoax. 
Now, I don't believe that personally. I'm saying if I had to choose between the two positions, do I believe the standard narrative or it's a complete hoax? If any of those two positions are true, the latter one would be the true for one, truthful one, right? Now, granted, I don't, again, I think it's a bioweapon. I think it was planned. But I've mentioned there's a 1% chance it could be natural. There's a 1% chance it may not have been planned. I don't think those, I don't think that's the truth. Yeah. What I believe is, is a bioweapon, they don't give a flying crap about killing any of us. They used to be a tenant in the truth movement before everything became uh, staged or faked with crisis actors. We used to believe that they believe in population control and they don't give a flying crap what happens to any person. You know, they don't care. Care. But with the crisis actors, they do. They do care a little bit. And I'm not going to say that, you know, most of your events, you don't have some sort of operatives and opportunists at these events. Okay. Like, don't. Yes. Robbie Parker. But I think a lot of it is. I think that's what the truth movement became or why they wanted to become the truth movement. It became complete subjective reality and that nothing's real and everything's a hoax. Because once you get that point, then that's all you research is that it's a hoax. You don't research that maybe there might be some things involved with it, some parts that are real that might need to be fleshed out or things that might be concerning. Because you actually start getting September clues that no one died on 9-11. You start getting uh, Crow 777 had one guy on that said that no one has ever died in a war. And if anybody who says that anyone has ever died in a war, then they're propagating some sort of magical ritual. That's what complete subjective reality gets to you. Is that if you've never... And also Crow... No fault to him on this. Crow served in the military. I would expect some sort of pushback, you know? Some sort of pushback to that. What? Is that um, for real? Yeah, there was a guy who said that on Crow Triple Seven and Crow didn't push back on him. I can't believe that. So that's what subjective reality trutherism gets you. That's what it gets you. Is you stop, you literally become a, 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 a skeptic, which is what they do. You debunk everything that there's no truth in anything. And there has to be certain truth in some event. There has, yes. to, be. has to be. So so, it's, so you end up getting end up, COVID denialism. And people are going to hate me for using that term. And I, as I know, I'm using one of their terms, but I'm trying to get the point across. Is the same as no one died at Sandy Hook, which was put forth by Jim Fetzer. And Jim Fetzer is an insane man. Then I thought you liked him. I I did many years ago. Many years ago, Ron. Many years ago. I had once fell for his lies too as well. Then you have no one died on 9-11. Then you have no one died in any war. Jeffrey Epstein didn't exist. There was there was a woman on Sam Tripoli's podcast that said that said that. So where is your line? Once it becomes subjective, because there's the objective truth, which is the truth of any event. And we may not never know the objective truth of any event. Okay. But there are parts of the objective truth, which are truth. And then you have subjective truth, which is what you and I believe about that event. Okay. So you believe COVID's a hoax. I believe COVID's real, but I believe it's a bioweapon. There's a possibility that both of those are wrong. There's a possibility that both one of us are right. 
But you have to start looking at it through that way because if you don't and don't leave your brain open to those certain things, you disregard the rest. Like what if it is a bioweapon? What if it is killing people and people are going around telling people it's nothing to worry about? What if they were, what if the first round was nothing and the second round is actually the bioweapon and actually starts killing people? Then what? Because people have been disarmed. I mean, I, I know I'm throwing I'm doing what aboutism here, but I'm old enough in the truth movement to know that the truth movement wasn't always like this. And a lot of it led to the QAnon operation and QAnon bullshit and, and subjective trutherism. And I know that's going to hurt a lot of people. When I say that, a lot of people are going to get upset. They're going to get triggered. They're going to get angry. They don't want to hear it. But it's reached that point where I, I look, I've been down that th those rabbit holes. I've held those positions strongly. But now I'm like, we're lied to by so much, and the truth movement is controlled by so many people and so many different groups. How can I trust these people that are telling me that these things? The 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 thing that broke with me about Fetzer, and I was on I was only on the raw deal for one episode, was when he said no one died in Las Vegas, mm. that nothing happened at Las Vegas, that it was all Hollywood and soundstage production. I knew someone who lived in Las Vegas. It happened. Yeah. But there are some people who believe September clues that no one died in 9-11. But, all right, I got, I got a, I don't want to go Alex Sakaris on you, but, um, or let's at least provide some context. At Las Vegas, people may have died or people probably did die. Um, Always got to leave that 1%, according to John Brisson. So, um, but people probably did die. People people died. Let's go ahead and say that. Um, but it wasn't at the hand of Stephen Paddock. No, oh, 100% agree with you on that, yes. Okay. 100%. Stephen yep. Paddock was a fall guy. Yep. Um, look, at Black at look, at, look at Blackwater, look at, look at Blackwater type groups at the Boston bombing, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the thing is, is yeah, Stephen Paddock was a was a patsy. All right, that's clear as day. Um, but to say that, and and the guy that Fetzer brought on as the audio engineer to prove that the gunshots in the Vegas shooting were faked was Dan Cromer was Lepo. That was the guy. And so, you know, and so the guy who interviews Michael Aquino. And pretty much whacks him off in the interview, all right? And praises him. Is the guy that Fetzer hangs his hat on approving that Las Vegas was a complete operation? That guy? And talk about, you know, just completely steering the conversation. I mean, Jay Dyer's talked about this Um there being steering committees. And I always wanted to ask him about that because I, I just thought that was really interesting steering committees. But, um, 
there's so many narratives that come out of the Las Vegas thing, right? They they were uh, capturing the Saudi prince and taking seventy mm-hmm. percent of their money, mm-hmm. and then there there's no one died. Oh, there was helicopters. No, there were active shooters in the crowd. It's just like there's so much information, which is disinfo, which is actually credible. You don't know where to turn. I mean, the only thing that we do know is that it wasn't Stephen Paddock. So you know what? So what I say about when someone asked me about Las Vegas, what's that? I, I don't know. I know what happened. I don't know how mm-hmm. or what happened. Um, Say about the Boston bombing. Mm-hmm. Say about Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. Say about 9 11. Yeah, I got to give pushback on that one, man. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at least. You might be uncomfortable. If, if you're uncomfortable going there, then we don't. I'm have not. To do. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Do you think that. Um, oh, I can see his face, but I can't think of his name. Um, Adam Lanza. Yep. Do you think he was real? Do I think he was real? Um, Do you think he died? Because if he died, he died at Sandy Hook. That's one person. Well, there's... uh, The documentary, we need to talk about Sandy Hook. Um, There was a lot of confusion between the birth certificates of Ryan Lanza and Adam Lanza. And Ryan Lanza was arrested mysteriously... Um, after the Sandy Hook shooting and again with the Gematria all over Sandy Hook, Sandy Hook equals one, one, two, uh, and all in all of the newspapers, Adam Lanza, 112 pound Adam Lanza is why do they keep harping that he was 112 pounds? He was clinically malnourished. He was six foot tall. 20-year-old male, 6 foot tall, 112 pounds, running and gunning all over the school like he was Rambo. That makes no sense. Sandy Hook 112. I agree with you about Lanza. I don't think there was a single shooter. There wasn't a single shooter at Columbine. So you think that there were – or you're potentially throwing out there that there were multiple shooters that day. Mm-hmm. Okay. You don't remember the well, guy? What about you don't, the, remember, you don't remember the military guy that was caught behind? The, that used to be in the narrative. That used to yep. be in the, the military it. guy. I got a signed copy from Fesser <laughs> right here. Of Nobody died at Sandy Hook. All right. Yep. There's some things that I can debunk out of this book that's complete bullshit. All right. Now look. Was Sandy Hooks was there was there some shenanigans going on? Oh God, yes. The same with any op in that Orlando, Las Vegas, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, nine eleven, um, Columbine, Columbine. There's multiple shooters. Hell, there's a guy throwing pipe bombs. Yep. There used to be the narrative of the guy that was behind the school that was in the military that was like, oh, I was just trying to get to my kids. But didn't name who his kids was. That was a narrative. What happened to that guy? That's my belief belief of what this is about. about. Nobody died at Sandy Hook Hook. was to stop investigations into stuff like that. that. Because the moment you entertain that no one died, 
Who cares who that guy was? Who cares if anyone died? Who cares if there were multiple shooters there? Who cares if there were... It, it goes from... It goes from... We must explore that it's a FEMA drill. It goes to that. It doesn't go to what happened on that day that might be... That might... That may... If it is a real event, what happened on that day that made that happen? And who was involved? It goes from that to another place. Do you understand my argument? Like it yes, goes from following those leads to following these leads. And some of these leads are complete bullshit. And the people that write this book that he has in here that writes the stuff, like, I'm not saying that there wasn't shenanigans involved. But is it this narrative? In my opinion, no. And some people are going to call me a shill and a gatekeeper. Now, do I think that there's some weird things with Robbie Parker? And yeah, yeah, there's some weird things. But there's also some weird things about this narrative, too, that just, like I said, the, the, the military guy behind the school. What happened to him? What about why was that, why was, why was that not why was that not flushed out? What was flushed out was this narrative. Same with the JFK assassination. What was flushed out was not the John Birch Society's involvement in it, or not even that it was a ritual that JFK wanted to be a part of, the whole Michael Joseph killing of the king ritual, okay? Yep. Yep. It it went to the mob. We don't discuss Israel's part in it. We just discuss the CIA and the mob's part about it. That's all. These controlled narratives, these steering committees. When Steve Pachinik believes this narrative completely, you got to start thinking that maybe something's wrong here. When the CIA psychiatrist is telling... David and I was right about that, man. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I used to 100%, 100%, 100 believe that nobody died at Sandy Hook. Now I just go, someone asked me, what about Sandy Hook? I go, I don't know. I don't know. That's all I can tell you. Well, what about what about there was there's been one death certificate from the alleged children that died that day, and that was Noah Posner. That's what they claim, yes, but you can't. It's it's not easy to dig. You can't just go get death certificates. Like people, uh -huh. there, and, and now they they were asking for the parents to give death certificates. Um, and they wouldn't, and yeah, I can understand that, you know, some people might be, you know, okay, that's a little odd. All right. Like why yeah. wouldn't you prove, yes, my son died here, you know, here's a death certificate. Um, but you can't just go get death certificates. You just can't. I can't even do that in North Carolina. Like you have to be a family member in order to do so. Like if I went to the Cumberland County records to get a death certificate, you pay the 10 bucks, you prove that you're a family member, you get the death certificate. I don't think it's any different up there in Connecticut. I just don't. If anything, it'd be more stricter than it is here in North Carolina. So how did they get hold of those death certificates to prove that? This, the Social Security database of deaths isn't even completely accurate. Um, there's a lot of inconsistencies even with people that we know are dead. You know, and people always want to use that or they always want to use the houses uh, in, in Sandy Hook all had zero dollars 
uh, for the property tax or whatever. They have been bought out beforehand. If anybody actually did any research on the Internet Wayback Machine, you can go do it yourself. Uh, it was like that for years, even previously beforehand. It was just the way the number system was for the for the for the software to track that. That's what it was. So, I mean, look, I know people are going to be upset at me, and, and and by me literally saying, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Dude, how funny is that? <laughs> that like people are going to be upset at me that I'm not buying the no kids died at Sandy Hook. <laughs> And if I don't and to anybody else. And I don't and I don't buy the conventional narrative either, you know. Since I don't believe the conventional narrative, and since I don't believe the manufactured subjective narrative, I'm a shill. Just because I go. Mm. Now, if you ask my opinion, do I think people died? Yeah, it's likely. Do I think that it is contrived as they make it out to be? I think there was multiple shooters. I think the government was involved. I think there's some, yeah, there's probably likely some, something was going on. There's probably either, you know, Lanza was driven to be the patsy and there, you know, there's multiple reasons of what could, yeah, I could theorize multiple things here, you know, but look at, look, when Steve Pachinik, CIA psychiatrist, known disinformation agent shill, who was Henry Kissinger's butt boy at this, at this uh, and was part of Operation Gladio when he was working for the State Department. Yeah. He literally tells you nobody died at Sandy Hook and he doesn't get sued. And you can say Fet, you can say that Fetzer and uh, Alex Jones and um, uh, Wolfgang Halbig got sued. But, you know. And Wolfgang Halbig brings up some great points, man. And like them not getting the helicopters over there, they had no interest in it whatsoever. He's like, "What is going on?" I've here? actually seen evidence and and phone calls given where the helicopters were. Go Google it if you don't believe me. There's counter evidence to that plot. Now, I'm not saying it's completely accurate, but there were people who did investigative journalism to prove that point, and it does seem like that they actually were called. I'm just saying that 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 if anybody wants to go, if anybody wants to go. Look at the evidence. There's evidence there. Now, you might not believe that evidence. You might think it's bullshit. But it is there. There is another narrative that's not put forth by the mainstream media. There are people who try to dig in to see how much of it could be proven. Go look it. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. But it's out there. Um, so again, with everything, I go, I don't know. And so just because I say I don't know that I don't think it's the conventional narrative, just like I don't think that Stephen Paddock was the only shooter at Las Vegas, I get called a shill just because yeah. I don't know. And I'm going to say the nobody died narrative over and over and over and over again. There seems something fishy about it because you have a lot of disinformation agents in high regard like Robert David Steele, part of the QAnon operation, or Steve Pachinik. They push these narratives awfully hard. So, and man, there's so many there's so many things about Sandy Hook because my girlfriend and I have have done a lot of digging on that one, and we were pretty convinced. We were pretty steadfast in our opinions, but um, I mean, the fact that the school was condemned for two years prior and 
there being asbestos. It, w- it wasn't so the school was condemned for for years prior, um, and it had horrible asbestos and people that had that had went in the school a day after the shooting happened said, "Oh my God, kids went to school here." Because it it was just so downtrodden. And have you ever been to an inner city school? But I mean, this is this is Connecticut, a nice neighborhood in Connecticut. Yeah, there's nice neighborhoods where the schools aren't that great, man. Public schools, you know. Yeah, that's a stretch for me. Like I understand what you're saying. I get that. Uh-huh. But do you think that they wouldn't? Okay, so how much? And it wasn't time? handicap accessible. You, I saw, it, it, it would have been against the law for the school to be non-handicap compliant. So let me and ask you. Let, let me let me ask you this. Did you go to public school? I did. You know how 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 long it took for them to become compliant in a lot of different things, man. I mean, and I and I and I know some people will say that's a poor argument, um, but I will. I, the only thing I have really to say in in defense about that stuff is, you don't think that they wouldn't. You think okay, so how much power do we give the world order, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, do you think that they just leave breadcrumbs out like that? You don't. You, you well, don't think. You don't think, narrative you don't think. That. You don't think. You don't think if they're going to plan such a, a elaborate ritual, okay? And they got all the dates lined up and all the numbers lined up and everything like that. You don't think they could do a slightly better stage production? You don't think Hollywood could do a slightly better? You know, not make things as glaring obvious as asbestos and being condemned at a school. Are you well, thinking that's you know, the whole gaslighting thing? That we found, I mean, gaslighting is exactly what's going on right now. No, The WHO comes out and says, we should never lock down again. That was a horrible mistake. Two weeks later, we need to lock down again from the same official at the WHO. And so it's just like, what what's going on here? And it's the gaslighting thing. And I've talked with Charlie Robinson, and he thinks it's, it's part of their weird satanic uh, religion that they follow, where, where it's karmic, and they they have to expose these things. I mean, I don't I don't know if that's a hundred revelation true. of the method. Um, yeah, okay. right. one last thing, and we, we, we got to end. Okay, I got to go. Okay. Um, but we can we can have another discussion for sure. Uh, we didn't even get to the CMP somehow. Yeah. We got, somehow we got <laughs> to subjective trutherism. Is that I guess one last thing in my defense about that is is how many truthers quote the World Health Organization or quote uh, mainstream media news sources that I do this to to prove their point. We can't trust any of what these people say in the slightest bit at all. Why do we do that? I, I see. I see. Where you're going, but I, I was just pointing out the contradiction. No, I know, but isn't that contradictory yeah. too? I, I don't know if I'm following. Okay. We say we can't trust the fourth estate. Okay. Can't trust yeah. the news media. We can't trust, we, but we trust the alternative news media. Okay. They're better. Mm-hmm. But yet, many people, when they analyze the news, including myself, please i admit it we use the mainstream media if the mainstream media proves our point or proves our narrative go with it if it doesn't cast it to the side because they're a bunch of fucking chills we do that all the time 
Yeah. I'm guilty of it. Every human being is guilty of doing this. It's confirmation bias. And it is rampant. So, again, the truth lies somewhere within those two polarizing gaps. Where is the truth? Because now everything has become subjective to the point where nothing is real. Everything is fake. Or is everything 100% real? Or is it somewhere there's a certain ratio of 95-5, That every event somewhere li- lies in that in-between. That's what Chris Milligan says, the author of Fleshing Out Skull and Bones. He says, he, he points out this famous example of, you know, paying off girls to... Um, clap and scream when Elvis comes on stage. And then he thought he was going to have to pay him the next time at the, at the next Elvis show. But the next time they did it by themselves, they were clapping and screaming. And so he's like, you know, sometimes you just got to lead the horse to water once. And then it knows its way back. Look how big the conventional narrative that was pushed about coronaviruses. Okay. The fear mongering, but also look how big, it was pushed that it was 100% hoax. Millions upon millions of people saw Plandemic and Plandemic 2. Millions of people bought jo- Judy Mekovitz's book about the Plandemic. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's a New York Times bestseller. David Icke reaches millions upon millions of people, telling him that it's only 5G. But the people that say that there is some truth to it, and that it is a bioweapon... Nowhere near the coverage. Because That's an Alex Jones CNP narrative, you shill. <laughs> because they're actually no Alex Jones is completely fake now. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh wow, he was pushing bioweapon for a while. He was, but he was fear mongering it too. Okay. It was about three months, three or four months he did. Three or four months. Hmm. So again, it's my belief that it's real. It's a bioweapon. And there's things that people should be doing to help with their health, to protect their health anyway. And just by saying that, or by saying, hey, if you do you know, have symptoms of what appears to be the coronavirus and it's pretty bad, maybe you want to take some of these supplements. Maybe you want to reduce your exposure to non-native EMF. Maybe you want to get some sunlight. Maybe you just want to take it easy for a few days. you know. And just by simply just stating that alone, I'm a shill. Yeah. I'm a shill to the people that believe the conventional narrative, and I'm a shill to the people that believe the subjective narrative because I didn't go in their camp. And they'll ignore my information. Where does that get us? Because majority of the Americans, majority of people around the world, they look at the people that think the COVID-19 is completely fake. You will never convince them otherwise. You have a greater chance of convincing it's a bioweapon. There's things that they can do to protect themselves or help their health. They should be doing anyway. And that the vaccine is complete on the bull crap. Then convincing them that it does not exist. Even if that is the truth, the amount of, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just the people's cognitive dissonance is just too thick. It just won't happen. And so, you know, because of it, you know, I have I have friends who are truthers who think I'm a shill just because I go, I think COVID is a bioweapon. I think there's things that you should do to take care of yourself that you should be doing anyway. 
I don't know what happened to Sandy Hook. I don't know what happened to 9-11. I'm a shill. <laughs> Quote it. And it's, I don't say that, you know, the average person that believes that nobody dies is Sandy Hook. I don't think they're a shill. Not think Steve Pashenik's a shill. But I don't think the average person that believes that narrative is a shill. And I don't believe that the average person who believes the complete Sandy Hook narrative is a shill. I think Anderson Cooper's a shill. And, but I get called a shill. Just because I have a 6,000 you know, YouTube channel. I'm reaching the wide, massive audience that David Icke and them are reaching. And I'm not jealous. I'm just saying you know, they reach millions upon millions upon millions of people saying COVID-19 is a hoax. I say it's probably a bioweapon. It's probably something. Um, here's the things that you can do to, to, to you should be doing anyway. Like, get, you know, getting sunlight for vitamin D, you know, taking vitamin C, eating a proper diet, eating an organic diet, you know, stress reduction, you know, things that you can use to build your immune system that you should be doing anyway. Yeah. And people don't want to hear it just because I say it's real. And I think you make such a good point, man. We do need to look. We we need to look at these events not as black or white, but gray. And the truth is always somewhere in the middle, and might lean toward one side or or another. And I, I'm as guilty as sin when it comes to that. I mean, obviously, when when it comes to talking about these topics, I mean, I. I I do still lean towards more the hoax, but listening to Zach Bush, I mean, he's he's still on the hoax side, but I mean, he's he's uh, bringing me more towards the middle. Even though, if it <laughs> if it were on a spectrum of the left right, it would still be you know far right or far. But right. is it the subjective truth versus the versus the conventional narrative? Isn't that a paradigm in and of itself too? Because you take someone who believes it's a complete hoax, and I say, well, maybe it's a bioweapon, and maybe there's things that you should do, and the vaccine's complete garbage. They yell at me. You know, they point at me, and they're like, you're a shill, you know? And if I say that to conventional people that believe that the numbers are real, trust the science, trust the World Health Organization, trust the plan, you know, um, I'm, um, I'm a COVID denier. You can't win. It's like, okay, and it's all by emotion, man. It really is. Not saying that everybody who believes those things live by emotion, but majority of them do. Where the moment you say something that is not to what they believe in, the moment I say that Sandy Hook, I don't know what happened. I have both sides yelling at me. It becomes emotion at that point. That's not what any of this was supposed to be about. It was supposed to be people trying to use logic and reason to just find out the truth. Because I thought that's what it was. But it's not. And it's sad. And it's depressing. But it is what it is. And this is what their job was to do all along. Was to sow so much misinformation. To sow so much subjective reality. That we never know what happened. And if anybody... I don't claim to know what happened in any of these things. I'm going to say this is what I think it is. I don't know for sure. But, I mean, how do you feel about it, Ryan? Am I wrong? If I'm wrong, let me know. I mean, let me know if I'm... Be, be real with me. I mean, that's just how I... It's what I think. Yeah, I'm 100% honest 
um, when I'm talking with people. And I, I think, I think how you are presenting it is the correct narrative. Maybe there are some things that I believe happened that day in Connecticut in 2012 that were inconsistent with the facts. And I, I have to realize that and I have to own that. And, you know, if, if the helicopter really was called to the school and Wolfgang Halbig was just a shill or he was pushing a false narrative and or uh, grifting and what, whatever it was, um, then I need to acknowledge that and I need to own that. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. Um, I do think there, there's some more things at play and all of the predictive programming and the gematria and, and a lot of people are skeptical of, of both and the point that you bring up about collective consciousness and, and, and these things, I, I do believe that it's valid, but I think that there's just been, this has been used for so much BS that we've been so worried about for so long that this is for this to be happenstance, not true for this to be a bioweapon. I'd still need uh, more convincing on that front. Um, but I, I think the way that you're looking at things is the correct way to look at things. It, it can't be either or it has to be, there's got to be a mix. I mean, at least one event, maybe it was one or the other, right? You know, yeah. The odds are, yeah. say that's the truth too. And then here you go again. <laughs> With the, well, you know, the one percent chance there's probably been. Well, I mean, I mean, there, I mean, the only thing I know is a Christian is the objective truth of God, right? And outside of that, everything else is subjective. You know, yeah, because um, it's personal experiences and personal recollection of events. So I don't know. A lot of people get upset about that, but. I mean, I know you got to run, man. Uh, go, go be with your family. Go enjoy your, your night. Um, let's definitely, I do did this enjoy again. this. I did have fun, Ryan. I had a great time. Yeah. Sorry. No, I mean, I, sorry if you get I letters, you're definitely, you're, you're definitely going to get letters when I'm on brother. <laughs> you know, people get upset. <laughs> somehow manage to I, piss off somebody. So yeah, I, I can't wait, man, but we definitely got to do this again. And, and I, I wanted to talk about, uh, occultism and demonology and the CNP and the QAnon hoax psyop. What, anything else you want to yes. attach to that yes um but let's do it um go enjoy your night man and i i'm really appreciative of you coming on thank you ryan take care brother have a good you too man Talk to you later. bye